Welcome back to the Hollow Sky Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Steven. And I'm Kyle. And thank you for hanging out with us today. I have been in this, uh, it's not a slump because it's not negative, but I've just been dragged into the world of UFOs and aliens as of lately. Hell yeah. So yes. get ready for that. You're going to get a lot of that. I've been finding a lot of weird ass stories. This one's no different. Warning, preemptive warning. It's it's gonna be a long one. There's gonna be a lot of there's probably gonna be three or four episodes tied to what I'm looking into here. So if if you like these episodic ones, this is right up your alley. If you don't, sorry, that sucks. Don't know what to tell you. Sorry. <laughs> but before we get into that, we are going to open this monster. Hell yeah! And take a drink of it. It hits so good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And go through all the business. Check us out at all our social medias. Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Discord, Reddit. Search up the Hollow Sky Podcast. Come and hang out with us. You know the drill. If you have a paranormal experience you'd like for us to feature on a future show, Kyle's got all the deets. You can call the Hollow phone, which is going to be 1618-556-0837. You can text it, leave a voicemail. Sometimes we open the lines for interviews. Uh, you can send it pictures, whatever you want to do. You can also write your story out or use your voicemail apps on your smartphones. Record your story or write it out. Shoot it over to the email, which is going to be hollowskypodcast at gmail.com. Um, I wanted to take time to shout out to all the people who hit us back up after the Mimic episode. I was going to do that before. Oh, yeah. It slipped my mind. Everybody... Uh, coming out of the woodwork and letting us know about the call and response signs. Yeah. And that that is legit. That is an actual thing. So shout out to everybody. All, everybody at YouTube that emailed us that all hit us up and was like, yeah, that's a real thing. So thanks, Hollow Crew. Yeah, we appreciate that. For stepping up and letting us know some shit. Uh, we... Oh, yeah. If you'd like to to help out the show... Help us out a little bit. We have a Patreon. You can go over there and see if there's any tiers that you like. Just look look through it. We got extra content and all kinds of stuff over there. See something you like? Sign up for it. We have a Venmo. You can throw some change in the good old uh, monster fund. I'm shaking this monster, but you can't hear it. And uh, purchase us a monster or two. We greatly appreciate everybody that uh, helps us out. Another thing you can do, the best thing you can do is... Tell everybody word of mouth. Spread the show. Just throw it to all your spooky friends. People who like weird shit. People who believe in aliens. People who are haunted. You know, just your whole your whole crew. If they listen to podcasts, throw our name in the hat. Kind of get it get it out there. We appreciate it. Um, you can also leave us a wonderful five star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. I'll eventually try to find them. Like I said, Apple and iTunes. I. I usually are my go-tos, but I make my rounds. So today's five-star rating is from our friend, Matt in Alaska. Matt in Alaska says, I drive a giant Tonka truck for 12 hours, or for 12 and a half hour shifts, and you guys keep my mind stimulated and help me stay awake and alert. I love how you guys feed off each other. Keep it up. Well, Matt in Alaska, we're glad that we can help you get through the slog of those 12-hour shifts. That shit sucks. They are terrible. I work 10s currently, and I fucking hate those. I work 12s for like the last three years, and then I swap to 8s, and it's like not even going to work anymore. Dude, that's how I feel, just going from 10s to 8s. Yeah, it's awesome. So be safe out there. Please. And whatever we can do to help you stay alert and awake, driving them big old... Alaskan trucks. Yeah, we uh, we understand the struggle. Like we're we're in the same boat. True, true. Our listener experience of the day comes to us from our friend Flick. She says, "Hi, Flick here from London, England. I'm binging the current and back catalog, and I've had a very similar experience to the guy in a coma following a brain aneurysm. I've recorded my story, and if it's good enough, please feel free to use it, or you guys can read it out loud. I'm not a very good re- narrator." Love the pod. You are awesome. Love Flick. Here is Flick's story. Hey there. This is Flick from England. Um, 
I recently gave you a review, I think you're awesome, and I am going through the back catalogue of um, stories. I'm on story number 42, and um, it's so bizarre, the guy with the, I'm listening to the current and back stories as well, Number, your show 42 had um, a story about a guy that had a brain aneurysm and woke up thinking um, that the son he lost as a baby had grown up um, and his reality was not his family's reality. I would like to tell you about a similar experience I had. Um, back in 2014, I had a severe accident um and was left with a brain injury or that was a brain injury and i was placed into an induced coma for around three months during this time um i i kind of oh it's just weird i mean i was in there for three months but when i came to i believed that my son was still alive I'd lost him when he was 13, and he would have been um, around about 28, 28, 30. And um, I had, during the time that I'd been unconscious, I had lived a life with him in much the same way that the guy with the brain aneurysm. I um, saw him graduate from school, he went to university, um, he still uh, played football, uh, soccer in the UK, and uh, my, I was still with my late ex-partner who was still alive. It was really bizarre, and when I woke up um, and saw my current partner, although I knew who he was, I was unsure as to whether he was with my son's father and where he was. And it was just the most bizarre thing. And to this day, sort of almost 10 years later, I do not, I do not have full recollection of things that have happened in real time, but I remember things that happened when I was um, in a coma. I'm sorry, I don't think I'm explaining myself very well, but it was just the most bizarre thing. And things that I have seen in the coma have actually come true. Um, I'll try and articulate that a bit more and send that, uh, send that again. Um, okay, you guys are awesome. Absolutely awesome. I love the podcast. I'm listening to the new episode and I'm an old episode. And I'm going that way. All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Flick, first off, thank you so much for taking the time to send uh, this experience in. It is... It's a doozy. It is just... It's, it sparks so many feelings. Like, it's it's kind of... It's, a, it's like heartbreaking. And it, it makes you... Like, I can't even wrap my brain around how the human brain works if that's even like if that's even the case as to what is going on like living living an entire 15 years in the three months that you were unconscious is just so heavy and then to wake up and have everything be different would just it would be it would be so terrible. Like on one hand, it's almost comforting to get to experience things with the son you lost that you wouldn't have got to experience had this not happened. But then on the other side of that, to wake up and then realize that it had never happened, it's just like so much to take in. And to drive it even further, the fact that things that you experienced while you were in the coma are now starting to happen in, in your, your post-coma life is even that much stranger.
I second all that sentiment. Like I don't I don't even know. It I like, can't it's do, hard to wrap your brain you, around. Is is it your brain like trying to ease the rest of your body and other parts of your mind to where it's not focusing on whatever trauma that has just happened? Or is it something to the point to where it like the trauma just knocked you in to another reality, another timeline, you know, timeline where everything's so much different. And then once that trauma starts to heal, you, you get pulled back into this one. Like once it, once it gets to a point to a nose, you're going to survive. It pops you back into this timeline. Yeah. It's almost like her, by being put in that coma, her consciousness currently left her body to experience a, consciousness in a different plane until they woke her and then it pulled her consciousness back yeah like i know that sounds pretty fantastic there but that's like i don't know i don't know where to go here yeah i mean because that's how else do you explain it i don't know man especially like because who's anybody to say that that wasn't real if if it if she if it felt felt fucking real like she can remember more details about being in her induced coma, then life itself. Who's yeah. to say what's real and what's not to her? Exactly. What it, what is reality at this point? Right. Flick, definitely send us. I didn't see if you had sent us anything else. I have to search up your name and see if they, your emails show up. But if you want to talk more about this, please send us Absolutely. in some more stuff because I'm super curious as to like what you experienced in your coma that is now taking place in your real life. Absolutely. This is when, when I heard this, I was like, what? It's like a firsthand lamp story. Yeah, exactly. You just, you just don't know where to go with it. Like, is, is it, is it another plane of existence or is it just your brain trying to get you to cope? I don't know. It's, it was, it is weird, but definitely hit us back up and, Send us some more information. So from there, we're going to take a sharp right turn here. We're going to get into this rabbit hole of UFO alien fuckery. I'm in. That I have been running down. Like, I found so many fucked up UFO stories in the last, like, three weeks. I'm just writing down shit that I want to I want to do an episode on. This one just happened to spiral out of control at this point. So, fuck yeah, that's what we like. Okay, so this story began to show up on uh, internet forums in around 2005 ish, in a series of anonymous posts that begin. Uh, yeah, it was on an email forum that was led that was pretty popular in different UFO research groups. Uh, these emails that were released had contents that kind of seemed too fantastical to be real. But as we know, sometimes things that are too fantastical to be real begin to show up and begin to be real. Some of these posts started to talk about a U.S. a team of U.S. military scientists that were deployed to a habitable planet in a nearby binary star system. They were sent there for 10 years to collect evidence and study this planet. This specific project was known as Project Serpo and the Human Exchange Program. Well, that sounds comforting. Yeah. So, from 2005 to 2016, an anonymous poster claiming to be a retired official within a branch of the U.S. Defense, Defense Intelligence Agency began disclosing information based on the experiences, findings, and scientific evidence that was recovered by 12 servicemen that were part of an interplanetary expedition. Of the crew of 12, only 7 reported, were reported to make it back. Project Serpo, as it was called, is reported to be a classified government program that took place in the 1960s. It took 12 highly trained military astronauts to another habitable planet to study and document their environment with the help of extraterrestrials and their technology. Um, as with most uh, cool UFO stories and the information that was released on it, 
Everything started with the Roswell crash of 47. Uh, it is reported that the incident isn't exactly how we know it today. That not one craft crashed to Earth, but two that are said to have collided midair. Oh, uh, that's interesting. I didn't. I haven't heard that one, but I have heard that two craft went down that day. Yeah, they said that there was a um, storm, pretty bad storm going on, and it uh, caused the two to crash, to hit one another in air. Interesting. Uh, another thing that convoluted the story was that the second craft was not found until two years later. So sort of, sort of a stretch, but, uh, I don't really know. I don't, I guess, I, but I also don't understand te their technology plus the technology we had at the time, you know, because one would think uh, an argument right off the rip would be that they are literally hyper advanced technological beings in a storm put them down right but that's also assuming that they have storms like ours on their planet so could yeah. it be possible that some you know fuck a, a lightning bolt could have hit the damn craft and just fried the bitch i don't know yeah but they said i think they said they were they collided midair so i don't know like you said if if maybe our atmosphere had something to do with it or what the deal is, but I mean, yeah, it could have been. We don't. I mean, we don't know anything about them. It could have been a visual thing where the storm was so bad that they couldn't see properly, or, or whatever the fucking case may be. You know. And as it's reported, the second craft wasn't found for two years later, so they kind of had to excavate it a little bit. But if you remember, like, if you look into some of the statements Bob Lazar made about Area Fifty One, he talks about there being multiple crafts, and he also uses the term ex excavated crafts. So could point to him being privy of the second ship. That wouldn't surprise me. That hit so hard it buried itself into the earth. Um, according to the anonymous poster, the first craft was recovered in Corona, New Mexico, and it contained a live alien being that survived the crash, as well as five bodies of deceased aliens. A deputy arrived uh, the following day of the report and summoned a state police officer. One live entity was found hiding behind a rock. The entity was given water but declined food. The entity was later transferred to Los Alamos. All the debris and uh, the bodies recovered from the first crash site were initially taken to Roswell Army Airfield in Roswell, New Mexico. The debris was eventually flown to Dayton, Ohio, home of the Air Force Foreign Technology Division. The bodies of the dead aliens were transported to Wright Field in Ohio and kept in a form of deep freeze. They were later also transported to Los Alamos where special containers were made to keep the bodies from decaying. The second site is reported to have not been discovered until August of 1949 by two ranchers. They reported the finding several days later to the sheriff in uh, Catron County, New Mexico. Because of the remote location, it took the sheriff several days to make his way to the crash site. Once he did, the sheriff took photographs and then uh, drove to the Sandria Army Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and notified them. A recovery team from Sandia took custody of all evidence, including six bodies. The recovery of the second craft, um, they found the aliens to be specific, or especially decomposed, because they stayed in the uh, desert for two years. That makes sense. So, animals and time had gotten to them. After being transported to the Sandia base, they eventually also went to Los Alamos, they determined that both crash spaceships were of similar design and the bodies of the aliens were almost all completely identical. They looked exactly the same. They had the same height, the same weight, and the same physical features. Almost as if they had been, like, out of a mold. The document uh, showed this. They decided to start using a specific terminology for the beings that were found. They were called EBEs, which is short for Extraterrestrial Biological Entities. You'll hear me use that a whole lot in here, so keep that in mind. The living specimen that was found was labeled as EBE-1. The government, at this point, of course, swooped in and began interrogating EBE-1. According to the information from this email drop, the entity could not communicate via human language, but it communicated in some strange tonal language that the officials could not understand. So it just, like, speaks and... <coughs> Beeps and boops, I guess. That's kind of weird. Yeah, just a whole range of different 
different tones and internet dial-up, I guess. <laughs> I hope that's what it sounded like, the old 56K <laughs> modem. Reports vary on how they actually began communicating with the being. I've read that it was everything from telepathic communication uh, to it was so quick to... Or it was so smart that it could pull in human information at unprecedented pace and kind of learn our languages. Um, I also have a report of a nurse that was on site that said that she was able to communicate with this being telepathically. I found the transcript of that interaction between the nurse and the entity. I feel like either you and me have talked about this or it's I don't think possible we've, we've done a, sl- a small episode I on it. I don't think we did an episode on it yet. I know I've heard this section before somewhere. Maybe we didn't yeah. do an episode on it, but... Maybe we had talked about it previously, but I do r- recall hearing this story, I think. Yeah. it's. I don't think we've done it. I think me and you have talked about it. Uh, Regardless, it plays into the big picture of what you're doing anyway. So. Yes, 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 yes. He... Okay, so as they begin to communicate with this being, EB-1, they learned that it was from a planet about 40 light years away in the Zeta Reticuli system called Serpo. Zeta Reticuli sounds familiar to any of you UFO heads out there. It's because it's the same system that Betty and Barney Hill was reportedly taken to in their abduction encounter. Some believe it's also the home of what we call the Greys, typical big head, big eyes, etc., or the Zeta Reticulans. Uh, it's stated that this, this creature was not human, and they had to decide a term for it, which was EBE. They also called it NOAA. Uh, the different terminology used by various aspects of the U.S. military and intelligence back then. Uh, it is reported that it was male, and that within the EBE's race, they do have males and females. EBE-1 was treated for some minor injuries and then taken to Los Alamos, Los Alamos National Laboratories, which was the safest and most secure location in the world. Special accommodations were specifically made for EBE-1. We believe EBE-1 uh, was a member of their Air Force or something similar to what we would consider NASA, some sort of exploration unit. It stayed alive until 1952, where it perished. We, uh, they had learned a great deal from the EBE-1, and although he did not have voice organs like humans, he was able to communicate with an operation performed by military doctors. EBE was extremely intelligent. It learned English quickly, mainly by listening to military personnel who were responsible for EBE-1 safety and care. Um, Many different military doctors, scientists, and a select number of civilians studied EBE-1. It never became upset or angry. It helped us learn from all the items found at the two crash sites, showed us how some of the items worked, such as a communication device. It also showed us how various other devices worked. Uh, EBE-1 died of what military doctors considered natural causes, uh, but they can't really specifically pinpoint what it was that made it pass away. Uh, We didn't have any standards to compare EBE-1's body with anything else that we'd ever observed medically. That makes sense. Yeah. They said losing EBE-1 was a super super huge blow to uh, human human science community because it's basically the most interesting thing that they'd ever received to study because I can imagine it's a that <laughs> goddamn alien. Yeah. And it almost makes you wonder how they treated it. You know, like nothing it doesn't matter if you're like you're being super nice to it or not. Like nothing wants to be under a microscope its entire existence. Yeah. It would be you know and then did they did they keep it locked up in a room twenty four seven or did once it start being cool, did they start like giving it privileges? Not that I'm kind of like advocating for extraterrestrial <laughs> <laughs> well-being here, but it, it, when you when you if you choose to go down a dark road with that, that's going to obviously dictate a a being's response to you. Not to mention a being or races whole narrative towards you yeah, like, that's... like you know what i'm saying like because if if homies back home find out you've been treating them like shit yep. what do you yeah. think homies back home are gonna do keep that noted uh weird side note here it's reported that ebe1 could not hardly process any meat 
at all. Well, His body sucks. would reject it and make it extremely sick. While he was captive, it is said that he survived on a diet of different vegetables and cheeses that was provided to him. He wasn't equipped to process a lot of what we have here on planet Earth. Uh, doing a little digging in Zeta Reticulans, I came across interesting, interesting anatomy differences. Apparently, they didn't have many processing organs like kidneys and bladders and livers and shit that's used to like filter out all of the bad shit that we eat. Real quick, A, I thought you said cheese its which I was like, oh, my man. I mean, could have. Uh, another thing that is interesting to point out here is that that right there, if this is, well, not in all extraterrestrial cases, but we have heard reports that there are theories that the greys and beings like the greys are more or less um, biological robots that get sent out into the universe, which that right there... I mean, so far in your research, that right there would kind of prove otherwise because it, it is. It has to eat. Yes, it has yeah. to eat, and it drink water too. Yep, but it it gets. I like I like where you're going. It's gonna it's gonna tie shit together further on. This is not necessarily related to the report, but I did find uh, another website where it has gray physiology and anatomy. Apparently, this was taken from the controversial Krill report. Uh, which made its rounds on UFO boards uh, earlier on in the 90s. That's uh, you, We could do a whole fucking episode on the Crow Report. but Oh, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah, yeah. That, it talks about uh, multiple dimensions. And Good. It's right up alley. Shit. But they describe the Greys and the Greys anatomy as, and this is all quoted from the site, <clears throat> the approximate height is between 3.5 to 4.5 feet tall. The head, by human standards, is large in comparison with the body. Facial features show a pair of eyes described as large, sunken, deeply set in, far apart, or distended more than human. Slightly slanted or oriental in nature. No earlobes or apertures on the side of the head were seen. The nose is vague. One or two holes have been mentioned. So it's, it's your typical gray. Like when you picture a gray, that's, that's yeah. pretty much what it is. The mouth area is described as a small slit or a fissure. In some cases, there's no mouth at all. It appears Ooh. not to function as a means for communication or food. The neck area is described as being thin and in some instances not being visible at all of the tightly or of their tightly knit suits. Most observers describe these humanoids as being hairless. Some of the bodies recovered have a slight hair patch atop their head. Others have what appear to be silver skull caps. There was no breathing attachments or communication devices. This suggests tel telepathy or higher intelligence. In one instance, there was an opening in the right frontal lobe area, revealing a crystalline network. This network implies that the development of a third brain. Where the fuck did the second brain come from, first that's, off? That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. Yeah. <laughs> the, the arms are described as long and thin, reaching down to the knee section. The hangers contain four fingers, with no thumbs. Three fingers are longer than the others. Some are very long. Some are. Do you know? Do you know when this about this came out? Like this right here. What the Krill report. I want to think it's in the nineties. Nineties. What year was uh, Independence Day made? There's a lot of fucking similarities yeah. between the aliens and that, and what you're describing right yeah. now. And also from the Pascagoula incident. Yeah. The long ass fingers. Yeah. The whole throating. Yeah, and like. Because yeah, if you remember in Independence Day, the aliens have no mouth. They fit because the aliens wear an exoskeleton, the big exoskeleton. And the ones inside, they have, they look like your typical gray, but they have no mouth. Yeah. And, and, so, and so it just, it like there's the similarities. Obviously, you'd have to merge the exoskeleton arms and stuff. But if you did, then... And you're you're not far off. Further in, there, there are witnesses. <clears throat> I didn't write it down because I didn't think it was pertinent to the story. But there was witnesses who interviewed a reporter who interviewed witnesses that were on site when the exchange took place with the twelve, and they said that their smaller transport ships. The only way he could describe it was like the ones in Independence Day, and they took it up to a interesting, larger interesting. mother mothership that was outside of our. That atmosphere. is interesting because I'm sure Independence Day was made in probably the mid to late 90s. Yeah, I it had to be right somewhere right. In the, it, it was somewhere in the 90s. It had it was definitely in the 90s. So back to uh, the description of the Greys, which I want to point out that 
the EBEs, the EBENs is what the government will eventually call them, are not specifically grays. They're two separate races, but they are very similar. No description is available for the legs and the feet. Some pathologists indicate that the section of the body was not developed as we would anticipate, showing that some of these beings were adapted to life in the water. There was a webbing effect between the fingers on most of the specimens. According to most observers, the skin is gray. Some claim to be beige, tan, or pinkish gray. No reproductive organs or capabilities were discovered. No phallus, no womb. Confirms cloning mentioned by other sources. The humanoids appear to be from a mold, sharing identical racial and biological characteristics. There was no blood as we know it, but there is a fluid which is grayish in color. I also found a letter from UFO conspiracy, conspiracy theorist John Lear, where he states uh, this about the conjunctions of the Greer or of the Greys. He says that they have a genetic disorder in which their digestive systems were almost atrophied and completely not functional. He seems to indicate that they suffer from some sort of unknown disease or some sort of uh, nuclear radiation. They sustain themselves by an enzyme or hormonal secretion obtained from the tongues and throats of cows and humans. He notes that cows and humans are genetically similar, and in the event of disaster, we can alter cow's blood to use as an alternative for blood transfusions. The secretion ex- or extracted from the blood is mixed with other unknown substances that are applied directly to the skin of the greys, which absorb the mixture and then it excretes the waste back from the skin. So one thing real quick, because it doesn't make sense to me. If, if they are being cloned, I mean, I guess you could explain that away. My, my point was going to be that if they're being cloned, why have different sexes? Because then in some cases it says that there are no sexes. We'll so it, we'll get into okay. We'll get to that. It doesn't it doesn't make sense. It doesn't if you're if you're going through a full cloning process, but I guess in hindsight, if you were essentially using old DNA, you are gonna have to go from a pool of male and female, you know. So that does make sense to a degree. It'll it'll start to come to fruition okay. and our and our Eben friends here start to take on a kind of Kind of not-so-friendly role in the universe. Hey, surprise, surprise. Interesting, right? So back to back to our Ebens. We always I, seem to find the negative in things. Yeah, I was just I was just kind of <laughs> giving you guys some, some anatomy of the greys, considering that they're similar. Well, it's pertinent because uh, a lot of people... And it talked about the cloning. Right, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, back to the Eben, or EBE-1. He was a visitor to our planet, it stated, was taken to several different locations, mostly warm. When he arrived at Los Alamos, he remarked that he liked the cooler climate, meaning Los Alamos in late summer, which states that he lives on probably a pretty warm planet if Los Alamos in late summer was cool to him. However, when he was taken Facts. to Washington, D.C., uh, very closely climate controlled, I must state, the climate there was far too cold for him. Uh, information was found about their society the, that he gave us. The alien civilization, this is reported to be briefed to Ronald Reagan. The climate thing actually kind of makes sense if you sit and think about it. Because they're small, they're thin, yeah, and they have no hair. Yeah. It, it kind of actually makes sense if you really, if you really break that down. That yeah. makes sense that they would require more warmth. Yeah. I didn't think about that, but yeah, it, me uh, they are pretty well put together for warmth. Yeah. So in this uh, briefing to President Ronald Reagan, it stated that the alien civilization that the Ebens came from, which we will come to call the Eben Society, wasn't Eben was not a name that they gave us, but it was a name that the government chose for them. It stated that their lifespan is between 350 and 400 years oh. in Earth years. They even don't have any similar characteristics to those of humans, with the exception of their eyes, ears, and mouth. Their internal organs are different. Their skin is different. Their eyes, ears, and even breathing is different. Their blood isn't red, and their brain wasn't entirely the brain was entirely different from a human's. We could not classify any part of the aliens with humans. They had blood and skin, and although considerably different than or although considerably different than human skin. Their eyes had two different eyelids, which is probably because their home planet, come to find out, was very bright. Mm, EBE-1 did not explain where, or did explain where he lives in the universe. 
we call the star system Zeta Reticuli, which is about 40 light years from Earth. EBE's planet was within this star system. Our closest star is four light years away, Alpha Centauri, a yellow star. It's the brightest star in the constellation Centaurus, Centaurus and it is 4.3 light years away. Uh, it took EBE's spaceship nine of our human or nine of our Earth months to travel the 40 light years. Now, as you can see, that would mean the EBE spaceship either travel faster than the speed of light. But this is where it kind of gets weird because he states that their spaceships can travel through a form of what he described in our language as space tunnels that gets them from point A to point B faster without having to travel at the speed of light. It's almost a wormhole. That's what I was getting ready like to say. Have, Just like a wormhole. They've, they have harness wormhole technology. Which is fucking crazy. They seem to be able to bend the distance from one point in space to another. Uh, whoever's writing the report says that they cannot fully understand how they travel, but we have many top scientists who understand their concept. The laws of physics on their planet are not the same as our planet, especially when it comes to the movement of their planet in relationships in relationship to its two suns. Our scientists don't understand it because it defies the laws of our own physics. We also understand very little about the propulsion systems. There seems to be two different propulsion systems. One they use within our atmosphere, and one they use when they exit our atmosphere. They do not have nuclear power. Their propulsion system does not, or does have some type of low-level radiation emission, but nothing that would endanger us. It isn't like our radiation, but we call it radiation because we have nothing else to compare it to on Earth. Time is very different on planet Eben, or on the Eben planet, which we call Serpo. Their day is approximately 40 hours, and that's measured by the movement of their two suns. The solar system containing Serpo is a binary star system, which, again means two suns rather than one like ours. Their sun do not set like ours. Their daylight is during the entire day, with the exception of a short period where both suns hit the horizon. So they have very little darkness. Right as both suns hit the horizon is the only time that planet's dark. Um, according to reports, EBE-1 managed to salvage a communication device from his downed aircraft and attempted to make contact with his home planet. Rut-row. Yeah. <laughs> he tried a total of six times, and all six times it failed to make contact. EBE one sent six messages. The first messages, or the first message, was just letting his planet know that he was alive. The second message explained the crash in 1947 and the death of his crew. The third message asked for a rescue craft for him. The fourth message suggested a formal meeting with our leaders of Earth. The fifth suggested an exchange program. The sixth message provided landing coordinates to any future rescue visitations to Earth. The incoming messages gave a time and a date, even date and time system, and confirmed a landing location. However, once the message was translated by EBE or by Eben One, it was determined that the date was over ten years away. Fearing that Eben One or EBE One was sick at this point, did not translate the message correctly. Our scientists began to translate the message based on the Eben language that was taught to us by EBE-1. Um, let me skip forward here, because I kind of got this all over the place. So, within this time period, EBE-1 passes away. The agents and scientists that were working for him started to receive messages back from his home planet. Whether or not this is from the initial contact he sent out, them replying to it, or whether they got the communication device working is unclear. They didn't state it. Now with EBE-1 gone, they have a problem because they don't know how to interpret the messages that are sent because right. they're all tonal, right? So after a few months of trying to translate these messages, they just are like, you know what, fuck it. The, the Ebens are so much smarter than us, they just started sending messages to him in English. Just fucking throwing it out there. I don't blame them there. And it didn't take them long for them to understand our language, and they started getting responses back in broken English. Oddly enough, it stated that they did not use verbs. So That's weird. Yeah. No fucking action words, I guess? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Over the next nine years of communication, they devised this trade program between Earth and Serpo. I couldn't find much information regarding the context of the interactions at this time. Um, it, 
I'm assuming it's either redacted or still classified. It just sort of jumped to this trade program from sending humans to Serpo and having Ebens come here. At this juncture, the Air Force is pretty much in total control of the program. They decided to make a very strict selection process for the journey. Candidates had to be career military officials with multiple special skill sets that cross different military backgrounds. They could not be married. They could have no children, preferably completely orphaned. So they wanted no blood ties here for planet Earth. Nobody to look for you when you're gone. Yeah, basically a suicide mission. Yeah. They, they pretty much plan that nobody's going. Right. Nobody's going to come back. Right. After months of going through the selection process, they narrowed it down to a dozen candidates. Some reported there was 10 men and two women, while other accounts just say that it was 12 men. Regardless, uh, they each with different useful skill sets and various traits. They called this crew the Galactic 12. After being chosen in some versions of the count, the Galactic 12 were completely scrubbed from the public record. Any documentation of these 12 individuals ever existing was methodically expunged from history. In other versions, they were first listed as missing in action in military exercises around the world and presumed dead. Uh, then from there, they would change it to being completely scrubbed from the public, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because if you're going to say they're MIA, just say they're MIA. Yeah, because either story works. Yeah, and and surely people fucking knew. People, they had interaction with these people. They had friends and they had, yeah. they had not so much family, but they had acquaintances and shit. But at the same time, it, what do you do if they completely scrub you from existence? Because you could sit there and tell somebody until you're blue in the face that, no, this person's real. And then you're like, prove it, bitch. Yeah, prove it. And there's literally nothing <laughs> out there. And being scrubbed from the public sounds way more like conspiracy and X-File-ish anyway. Oh, 100%. So. It definitely adds to the story regardless. Although I feel like the more logical one would be to say they're missing an action. <laughs> that's what that's what I just left it at that. Because the, the government's... The, they, they've done it. Like, we're... Families are investigating someone missing in action, and the government, all they have to do is just ignore you. Yeah. like They don't give a shit. Whatever. Yeah. We're doing our best. Goodbye. <laughs> Each team member was not identified by a name. They got a, th a number, a three-digit number. From that point on, they were identified by their number only. Even each member identified others by their three digits. They never used their real name. So they wanted to like almost keep, keep all like emotional connections... Nil. Uh, it is stated in diaries and documents that came back from Serpo that once they left planet Earth and got to Serpo, they gave each other nicknames. Team commander was identified as Skipper. Medical officers were Doc 1 and Doc 2. Pilots were Sky King and Flash Gordon. Even though it wouldn't make any difference if they used their real names on Serpo, they were disciplined enough to continue using their nicknames or three-digit numbers. Um, in a release, I found uh, a series of their numbers here, but this just kind of tells you who they picked to, to go there. Uh, there was a team commander, an assistant team commander, two team pilots, two linguists, a biologist, two scientists, two doctors, and a security person. After extensive selection process, each team member had to demonstrate their, their ability to endure hardships, which included a battery of psychological tests. Medical screenings and a PAT, a positive attitude test, which is a military test given to pilots and special force personnel. The rigorous training consisted of the following. An introduction to space exploration taught by NASA personnel. Astronomy, identification of stars, use of telescopes, and general uh, astrophysics. Eben anthropology, based on information received from EBE-1. Eben history, basic information received from EBE-1. U.S. military field medical training, trauma care. This was given to non-medical personnel on the team. High altitude training. Parachute and weightlessness, zero oxygen environment training. Survival, uh, escape, and evasion training. Basic weapons and explosive training. Six pounds of C4 was taken. I am assuming that's on the training. Uh, psychological operations training and anti-interrogation preparation. Fuck. So they, you ain't, I mean, if you get there and they want to know shit, they are they are preparing for worst case scenario. Yeah, they're waiting to get there and it just be an all out. Yeah, shit fuckery. show. Yeah. 
Small unit tactical training. Mini four-week U.S. Army Ranger course. I bet that was fucking brutal. Uh, I know for a fact that the survival, escape, and evasion training is fucking horrid. <laughs> uh, multiple intelligence gathering courses. Space geology. Collection methods used of specialized geological equipment. How in the fuck do they have... They already had training courses on gathering shit from outer space. I don't know, dude. I was thinking the same thing when you went through uh, the space exploration by NASA. Like, bitch, we don't even know what we don't know what we're doing up there. Shut up. <laughs> Physical stress training methods to cope with confinement and isolation. Nutrition courses, equipment use training, individual specialty training, basic biology. Other training, which is still considered extremely highly classified, even in the 40 years after when these were released. So 65 to 2005. Each team, team member had to endure extreme psychological and physical training. In one training test, each member was locked inside a 5 by 7 box and buried 7 feet underground for 5 days. With just food and water, no contact for any, with anyone else in total darkness. This tested several factors. They also gave each team member a placebo pill. The pill was a standard use for intelligence agents and operating behind enemy lines. The pill could end their life if for some reason they needed to take it. A suicide pill. Yeah, as soon as you said a pill, I knew exactly where you were going with that. (laughs) And but dude, imagine how hard that would be to be buried underground. Shitting and pissing all over yourself for five days or however many days. No contact with anyone. Nobody checking up on you. Yeah, and they probably didn't tell them a word. They probably just woke up buried in a fucking box. Guarantee it. And then on top of that, uh, you don't even have zero idea what time it is. You you could have been in that box for two hours or ten days, and you you don't know. Yeah. You have no fucking clue. That'd be terrible. Terrible. Because you know they're not giving you a cell phone. They're not giving you a watch. They're not giving you shit. Fuck no. The only upside to that, it would the only thing that would give me hope is that they gave me food and water. Yeah, so they're, want, they're wanting you to live. Yes, they want you to but live. But they're also giving you the option for an out. Like, yeah, that's true go. too. <laughs> Several selected team members, pilots, were trained on flying Eben crafts, one of which was captured near the western New Mexico border in 1949. The plan called for the selected few to fly the craft back to Earth in case of an emergency. So if they had to get the fuck out of there, yeah. hijack one of them and bring him back to Earth. That's fucking wild. Isn't that fucking just awesome? It's like a it fucking It is kind of cool. There were See now this is this gets confusing. There's a discrepancy here. It says that there were four pilots on the team, but the in, original list said two. Yeah. I read that there were actually 16 members picked. So four four were alternates in case somebody backed out or something happened. Gotcha, so I that think makes this sense. may fall in here. These four spent many weeks at the Nevada complex learning to fly the recovered Eben alien crafts. It wasn't hard to fly once one could understand the operation of the controls. Uh, the writer says, I'm sure many of the UFO sightings back in 64-65 around the West Coast could be attributed to these test flights by our team members. Each team member was selected that each team member selected was sent to a special facility camp at Camp Perry, Virginia. This was an intelligence training location. We took over uh, we took over a complete complex site of Perry. Most of the training took place there, but some special training was accomplished at Shepard Air Force Base in Wichita Falls, Texas, Ellis Air Force Base, South Dakota, Dow Air Force Base in Maine, and isolated locations in Mexico and Chile. The training lasted for 167 days. The team was allowed of only 15 days off during this period, but they were closely guarded. Just prior to their trip, each team member was transported to the United States Disciplinary Barracks in Fort Leavenworth, Kansas, and confined into lock cells. This prevented them from communicating with anyone in the outside world and kept each under close watch. Uh, there was, however, a change of plans. We received message from the Eben stating that they did not wish to make the exchange during their initial visit to Earth. They wanted to meet first and then plan the exchange in person. This created many problems with our team since they were ready for the exchange. We sent a return message, but we didn't receive a reply. In December 1963, the Eben sent a message confirming the time, date, and location of their landing. This message stated that two crafts were en route to Earth and would make the appropriate landing at the pre-arranged location. 
However, our government was suffering from the loss of President Kennedy during this time. Some on the project wanted to cancel the exchange because of his death, but President Johnson was debriefed and decided to continue the event, although it was noted that Johnson didn't really believe it would happen. Our team planned for two locations, one cover location at Holloman Air Force Base in uh, near Alamogordo, New Mexico, and the other, which would be the actual landing location just west of Holloman near the southern entrance to the White Sands Army Post. The first Eben aircraft entered our atmosphere during the afternoon of April 24, 1964. The Eben craft landed at the wrong location, near Saqqara, New Mexico. Our team was in place at White Sands. We were able to communicate a message to the Eben craft that they landed in the wrong location. The second craft picked up the message and landed at the correct location. The Eben craft landed exactly at the location that was sent, and there were 16 senior U.S. government officials on the ground. Some were political, and some were senior officials, including military officers. The Ebens exited their craft and walked under a, or a pre-located canopy. The Ebens gave gifts of their technology, and they had a crude translator device. It appeared to be some sort of microphone with a readout screen. The senior U.S. official was given one of the devices, and the Eben kept the other one. The official spoke into the device, and the screen showed a printed form of the voice message in both Eben and English. It was crude and hard to understand everything that was said. The exact transcript of the meeting won't be discussed at this time. The Ebens decided to take the, ex or the Ebens decided to make the exchange, but not until the following year. July of 1965 was set as the location to be decided upon as the Nevada test site. Planners did not wish to keep the same location for fear that something might leak. Team members were kept in Fort Leavenworth until May 1964. They were transported to Camp Perry. The team was isolated for the next six months, going over the same training they received. They fine-tuned their individual skills, learning some new skills. This gave the team an opportunity to better understand the Eben language. Although most team members had difficulty learning the language, two linguists on the team were able to hone their skills. In April of 1965, the team was transported, to, transported back to Fort Leavenworth, and where they waited until July when they were transported to Nevada. During the exchange, only a few select officials were present, other than the preparation crew for the exchange. The Eben craft landed, our team was placed on board, and the amount of supplies loaded on board the Eben craft were that of 90,500 pounds of equipment. That's a significant amount. That is a significant amount. So they're clearly just trying to prep them to spend, I guess it was predetermined that they were going to spend 10 years at Serpo. <coughs> so the, um, the list of equipment, fucking, I found a whole big long list, but I just picked out a couple things of note here. Uh, first and foremost, they took a ton of music. They just, I, I guess everybody's super into it. They figured that the being spoken tones and shit, they took everything from Elvis to Bob Dylan to the Beach Boys to Bach and Beethoven. They even took various uh, music based around like chants, Native American chants, Tibetan chants, African chants, thinking that this was kind of closer to the Eben's tonal language. They took a portable x-ray machine along with numerous other ex medical equipment and items. Tons of scientific uh, testing material with everything from radiation testing kits to diamond drills for geological testing. They took 1,000 pounds of C4, one nuclear detonating kit. Oh, wow. 24 military handguns noted to be Colt 45s further in the report. 24 M16s, six M66s, uh, two M40 grenade launchers, two M60 or two 60 millimeter mortar tubes with 30 rounds each. 5,000 rounds of .223 ammo, 500 rounds of 45 ammo, ammo, 10 seismic deep dr deep hole drills, 10 military combat motorcycles, 3 M151 Jeeps, 3 military trailers, 1 military lawnmower, okay. 2,500 gallons of fuel, small canisters of liquid nitrogen, chewing gum, lifesavers, suicide pills, along with tons of other shit. Some interesting choices there. There was a... <laughs> I wish I had a military lawnmower. Yeah, like, you... I don't even... I mean, I, mean, I need, guess... If you need I guess you're going, option. you're going in completely blind. But a lawnmower? 
So you don't know what you're going to need? But a lawnmower. I mean, I guess a lawnmower. Hey, even one. I can mow your lawn for you, bro. I got you. So there was a link, lengthy discussion between the leaders of the, the Ebens that were on the planet and our government about all the weapons. Because clearly... We're taking some firepower. Taking a nuclear detonating kit. Which obviously means that they probably have a warhead tucked away somewhere. The scary thing is, is that at the end, the Ebens didn't even care. They're like, yeah, take it. Bring it with you. That goes to show their confidence <laughs> slash arrogance. Bring it on up here, boys. <laughs> so clearly most of this stuff were taken just to help the military members feel safe because they're going to be grossly outnumbered. Oh, yeah. And, and they probably thought worst case scenario between the thousand pounds of C4 and a nuclear warhead, we can at least let them know, hey, don't fuck with us. Just set it off. But even even that, they're just like, okay. Eh. Go ahead and bring it. That is pretty sketchy. That sucks. Yeah. They're not worried at all. (laughs) In the reports, it's said that smaller ships are used to take these items to be unloaded on a larger ship just outside of our atmosphere. And like I said, the the reporter that interviewed people said that the the closest thing he could could describe it as would be like the Independence Day ships. Uh, The Ebens left just one person, or one Eben here, as exchange, so it, like it was, a good, a, it was like a, a good faith thing. 12, 12 for one swap, and if we had any issues here on Earth that we weren't understanding, they wanted they wanted one of theirs to be here to kind of try to help bridge bridge the communication gap. That makes sense. So, um, especially with the Evens' capacity to learn, that is also what's scary because the fact that they can learn lightning fast, and then you leave one here as like a quote unquote liaison. And yet, all they're basically doing is just sucking up all of the information they can possibly suck up and then forwarding it on to their entire race. Yes. That's a little bit of a red flag for this guy. So, I'm I mean, gonna... I realize it's a double edged sword. You know, we, could, we have the opportunity to learn too. But as me and Steve have uh, grossly pointed out, that understanding one's intentions suck. Yeah. Like it's. Uh, you never really know where they fall. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and end this one right here because we're right at the spot to where we're getting ready to get on the big ship and we're getting ready to take off. All right. So I mean, I'm excited to to venture out cuz it like you said it's like it's like being in a little movie. Like we're exploring a if, movie here. If this is fucking real, which I have no more reason to believe it's not than I have to believe it is. I feel like it is. Like, because they they essentially gave us voice to text, and now look, yeah, yeah, iPhones have voice to text. I mean, they Evans did create the first iPhone. Told you, solved. I mean, it, I wish it, I wish that was their their main goal because once, well, and you and then people have talked about it a million times. I'm not gonna keep kicking it, but the technological jump that humans have made all of a sudden is pretty vast, pretty fast. Yeah. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, so it totally makes sense that somebody somewhere fucking helped us. Yep. I need to mark where we're at here. That way I can jump right back in to where we are. I'm just gonna make some notes here of um a bunch of the websites and shit that I used. Once I heard about it, I started listening to a bunch of podcasts. My main one was the Alien Theorist Theorizing. Case file 123, Project Serpo. They did a real good kind of uh, overlay of the entire thing. They didn't dive into it as deep as this is, but they kind of gave their own little commentary on it, which I pulled a lot out of. They're the ones that kind of connected Bob Lazar talking about excavating the ships and shit, and I thought that was a pretty good point. Oh, for sure. When they said that the ships were excavated, and he specifically says that the ships were excavated out of the ground, kind of ties it in. Um, I also, a lot of this comes directly from this Google website called the Night Owl News. And sounds cool. The the person who wrote this pulled it from another web page 
www.ocities.org, where a man by the name of Maurice Osborne went through the entire Serpo page of all the leaked documents and kind of uh, combined them into a smaller series to where it's kind of easier to read and get through. So I uh, use that. I'm pulling a lot of shit directly from that because the story is so fucking wild. Like a lot of it is just the government officials. It's excerpts of them talking. I also, uh, for the krill part, I used ufofandom.com slash wiki slash OH krill. And for all that good alien anatomy, alienfandoms.com slash wiki slash grays. So if you guys want to go to any of these to check it out and further look into it, um, we're going to start off the next episode as they all start to leave Earth. I have pulled uh, some excerpts from the diaries of the Galactic 12. They they have a ton of them at the website. I just pulled some... A couple pages cool. of different interesting ones and kind of pasted them back and forth and whatnot. So be sure to tune in next week if this is interesting you. The Galactic 12 are getting ready to head to the Zeta Reticuli star system and planet Serpo. Not me. Fuck that. Fuck that, Kyle says. It ain't happening, bud. No way. It gets it gets a lot worse. I, I can only imagine. Not? Because we're... we're a dumb species. The thing is, and the is fact like, that that asshole has three brains, we're definitely screwed. The thing that sucks is that they treated uh, the whole. From what I get, they they treated these people utmost respect. And the thing that's terrifying is that they didn't hide anything from us. Everything that you find out that they're up to, they just show it. Don't even care. They're like, here you go. Well, in the this end, this is this is what we're doing. In the end, if you think about it. It, it, it's a it's a, it's like a king and the peasant, right? Because the king does, like the king knows, bitch. I'm in charge here. Like you have nothing on me. They're like nothing. Humans are like we're bringing a nuke. That's our biggest and baddest. And they're like, okay, come on aboard. Okay, do you, do you want Let's us? Let's go. You want us to carry it? You gonna carry it? Yeah, we can. We can. We'll just take. We can we can test it out once we get home. You know? <laughs> see, you want to see what it'll do? We so, actually have a chamber that you can put it in, and it'll keep it contained. It's it's nice. I I and and the fact that's the most fucked up is that they state in the report that they sent all these weapons just to make the guys feel the better. The guys feel better <laughs> because as a military personnel, like like your your sidearm well, is what your, what else does that suggest? That also suggests that upper management knew a fuckload more than what they was letting their dudes oh, know yeah. about. Oh yeah, it gets like these these diaries and shit get get pretty deep, but it also kind of goes into like how what is exactly is all going on, and the more you dig into it, it, it kind of sets off a domino effect of pretty much all. UFOlogy as we know it now. Interesting. Like a whole bunch of shit. All your your project gleams and your project Orions and all this kind of started as as a trickle down from this supposed uh human exchange program. Well, and to be fair, like and when it comes to today's news and people theorizing that all these crafts that are being reported and stuff are ours. The fact of the matter is, in my opinion, that we didn't create that shit. No. So, like, I could believe that today's that we're seeing are ours, but that technology did not originate with us, in my opinion. Like, somebody would have had to have enlightened us, so to speak, which, you know, Serpo obviously plays right into. Yeah. And how fucked is it? They're like, like, Roswell was so convoluted to begin with. They're like, oh, it's a UFO that crashed. And they're like, no, it's not. It's a weather, it's a balloon, weather balloon, balloon that crashed. And then there was some other third fucking story. I can't fucking remember. They said it was some sort of weird... Uh, what was it? It was one whole cover-up project something. 
where they said it was some sort of other device. I don't know. But now this comes out and it's like, nothing you know about Roswell is correct, except that there was a UFO crash, but there was multiple UFOs crashes. So just. And not only were there bodies, there were living bodies. Yeah. I love that they go to give him food and he's like, nah, I'm good fam. Yeah. Like just let me have some water, bro. (laughs) I can't eat meat. So I definitely ain't trying to, you don't, you don't trust people that can't eat meat. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, well, I'll take that back. You don't trust. Well, then again, you might not want the extraterrestrials to eat meat. That's what I'm saying. (laughs) I mean, if we're going with the grays though, they do take enzymes from human tongue tongues. Oh, that's true. Fucking sick sons of bitches. Which, on that note, I will. Whenever bust you, a gray whenever you hear of like cattle mutilations, which would explain why so many of the mutilations are just cattle, but they're always removing the tongue, their fucking tongues. Well, and the genitals, and their balls, and their eyes, and their eyeballs. A lot of balls going on. Yeah. That's fucking weird. I'm not. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. But yeah, tune in next week where we're gonna get into some of the. This is gonna be cool. The Galactic Twelve is gonna take off, and I got a whole bunch of their uh, diary entries here. I'm vibing this pretty hard right now. It's fucking weird, bro. I'm liking it. I really am. So check us out on our social medias: Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, TikTok, Reddit, Discord. Come and hang out with us. Stay safe. Stay weird. And um, if a UFO crashes outside your house and you see a living alien, do not try to feed you the cheeseburger.